welcome back to another episode of Over the Glass. I am your host, Jay. And I'm Nessa. I'm exhausted. Guess where I'm at today? You're in Syracuse. What? How would you know that? Um, because you gave me your entire itinerary. You, you literally <laughs> oh, gave yeah. me the cheat sheet for the exam. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. It's been an experience getting, oh, I was having internet issues, but I got it to work. We're good. I'm ready. This is happening. Hi, Ariel. How's it going? I'm good. Thanks I'm for good joining at... us today. No problem. I always, I always enjoy talking, uh, talking sports. In honor of your favorite team, I am wearing the only orange shirt I have on me. So I appreciate the support. <laughs> Orange behind and I'm wearing nothing hockey related, so that's even better here. Are they? In the, are the Sixers in the playoffs? Yeah, they're playing right now. They're up three zero in the series, so they can uh, sweep today. Who are they playing? Uh, Brooklyn. Ah. So they're they're actually playing right now. Ah. Yeah, the Bay Area. Cool. Bay Area team thing is uh, fun. I guess <laughs> <laughs> the Warriors against the Kings in the playoffs is kind of cool. Sparks a rivalry. All right. So, would you like to give us an intro? How you got into hockey? How you identify? Okay. Uh, so, we'll start with that. <laughs> My name's Ariel. She, her. Um, that's how I identify. Um, I'd have to go probably back uh, quite a bit, maybe to high school a little bit before um and it was my dad that got me into sports because if you ask my mom, she said I hated it when I was younger. I didn't have any care for it. And then I just got older and got more into hockey. And made, But basically through my dad, because that's something that we kind of share is the love of sports. So I'd say he's probably the, really the, the spark that got me into it. Was it hockey to begin with or... Yeah, yeah, it started, it started with the Flyers, and then it kind of just progressed from there. And the funny thing is, I'm Philly everything except for football. That's where, like, my entire family differs. Like, none of us are all the same in football. That's the only – well, my brother, my brother is different hockey team. He's a Devils fan. Um, so he differs there. <laughs> the looks on the face. Interesting. Uh, so he, he differs in hockey. We all differ in football. But, yeah, I'm Philly for everything else, for hockey, basketball, baseball. Um, everything's Philly there. But, yeah, I did start with the Flyers. Who do you root for for football? Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Um, as a Philly fan of everything else, um, I'm a Giants <laughs> fan. You're a Giants fan? Yeah. Oh. I can admit Meh. it. I can admit it. <laughs> that's, a, that's about the reaction I expect, so you're good. <laughs> Um, how, uh, or why did you join Hockey of Tomorrow? How'd that come about? So I actually worked with Chanel, um, before on a different, um, project. So we kind of knew each other from that. Um, and she actually reached out to me cause she thought, um, I'd be someone that was good for, you know, good for this. And I kind of wanted to branch out just a little bit in terms of the stuff I do write about. I mean, I am passionate in the like analysis and, and all that in, just, you know, covering hockey itself, but I kind of wanted to branch out a little bit in, like, different coverage and, and kind of stuff like that, because it's not stuff I'm doing at the place I am now. I mean, I could if I wanted to, 
um, because I essentially do, I don't, I kind of run that site, the other site that I'm with, um, so I could really write about that stuff if I want to, but this was a way to be able to keep that stuff there and then branch out kind of on the side, so I liked having that, going to a different side of hockey, not just looking at, like, the games and the players and kind of stuff like that, so I thought it would be a, a good fit here. So what exactly are you going to be focused on for your writing? So where I was going to start was kind of focusing on like different charities that the players are a part of. Um, the Flyers mm. specifically is where I was going to start um, because they got real into having the players partnered with different charities in, in the Philadelphia area this season. So I was going to start there. There was a little bit of trouble being able to get interviews for stuff like that. So I kind of moved a little bit away from that. Um, that's kind of primarily what I was going to focus on, though, was looking at, at, at stuff like that. So I think it's still kind of going to stay there. Um, I am working on a piece um, involving Flyers charities themselves and, and kind of what they do. So it's kind of going to be in that branch, but I'm honestly truly open to, to anything that maybe comes my way or that, you know, gets asked of me or anything I find. So it was going to start there, but it, really I'm open to kind of anything in the in that kind of area, I'd say, though. Yeah, that's kind of why me and Nessa became interested in, in hockey tomorrow. Um, I mean, you know, we're fans of the game, but there's aspects of the game that not only like the positive parts of it that we feel are like really great to talk about and to highlight, but then there's also the parts where they're not so great for the sport and they do need to be talked about. And I think it's also very important that um, the stories are being told from the perspectives as well from people who are affected by the ways that hockey and, and sports in general are not being as inclusive as they supposedly say they want to be and it seems like um hockey of tomorrow is like a good platform to kind of marry the passion for the sport but then also being able to talk about things that aren't just analyzing the game which can be exciting but there's quite a lot of that already. And so when we started this podcast, we were kind of like, well, we're not necessarily experts about that sort of stuff. It's like, it comes up just to, from the from the excitement of following the game, right? But I think yeah. from, from our perspective, um, I think we can, we bring a lot of the representation and the passion for the other parts of the game that, um, do need more attention so hockey tomorrow and that being their platform their like their direction like i think it's really cool to see um really everybody who's kind of like come together it's like a ton of people mm -hmm. from all walks of life and really passionate about not only the game but highlighting those things yeah and that's kind of i think what we've seen so far and just looking like even when i'm going to pitch an article i kind of read through all the stuff that people are pitching i'm like oh that's an interesting you know a topic or that, that's something i'm you know curious to read about and stuff like that so it seems like we've got a great group of people um that are kind of covering all those areas that need to be talked about and should be talked about yeah and don't don't try to be a fan of three teams it's not easy <laughs> wait you mean like that's just nice. within the sport in general wait. or like in in hockey me, specifically me yes oh in no we're already but at least pick different conferences that helps uh, uh that's me I I have, there. 
three. I have three. Yeah, three teams. Um, I mean, Flyers are number one. Um, but I also do follow the Blues and the Canucks. A bunch of teams that have no direction right now, so that's great. I uh, <laughs> all this all three. <laughs> All three teams I follow are all in the Western Conference, and two of them are currently playing each other in the playoffs. We love so. that. We love that. <laughs> I'm here for Team Chaos. Um, um, yeah, yeah, no. For me, it'd yeah. only be chaos if they met in the finals. So. Hmm. No, but then you, I, you don't lose, really. True. Yeah, no. Like every every season, the the Sharks either don't make the playoffs or get knocked out in the playoffs. It's just there's there I can't. There's I, no I, I, I can't root for anybody in the Western Conference. It's just, I'm just so upset. I'm so mad. And I'm like, no, if we can't win it in the West, no one can. No one can. <laughs> so, I feel yeah. that, though. I do, mm-hmm. I do understand that. Yeah, yeah, liking two Western teams is a... But they're at least in different divisions. So that's It's still not far helps. enough. And I tried, <laughs> I tried so hard to not be a Canucks fan. I was only following for... See, I like players that, I don't want to say are bad, but are like not your star players, not your guys. So, I'm a Luke Shen. love too. Yeah. I mean, he gets a lot of love now too, but I was only following the Canucks for him. And then it's like, no, you actually like Petey and Kuzmenko, and no, you actually like the team. <laughs> so, it was the same thing with the Blues. I followed them for Braden because he got traded, and then it was like, now you just like them not to. So your your tattoo that you shared earlier this week, yes, makes way more sense to me now. Yes, <laughs> I was there. like, wait a minute, yeah. that's a Blues player. My nice. favorite player. He was the only one I was ever going to get tattooed. But he was originally on the Flyers, right? Is that why you yes. you liked him yes, so much? Yes, he okay. was originally. Yes. Well, so was Luke, too. They were they were both there mm, at the same okay. time uh, for a little bit. So, yeah, I'm and I followed him. Yeah. I followed like, him to St. Louis and, yeah, it went from there. When when the Sharks trade uh, players that, that I really like, I follow that team that they go to for a little bit. So right now I'm like maybe a quarter of a Devils fan because Timo's there. <laughs> like, I'm rooting for Timo. <laughs> so that's not going so well right now. Uh, <laughs> no, <it's not. laughs> yeah, we'll see who they start uh, in net today. I'm not saying that the goaltender's the problem, but, you know, they seem like they're trying to figure out something for game three. It's always the goaltender's fault when you need to change. Of course. Isn't mm-hmm. that what it is? It's, yeah. it's always the goaltender's fault. It's not his defense in front of him. So let's get into some flyer stuff. Let's get your perspective of how how did the season go for you? And I guess I'm. <laughs> I feel that. Yeah. So how did the season go for you? And and we'll and we'll go from there. Um. Okay. Cool. Where to start? Um. I mean, it was a long season, but it was it was always going to be that way anybody that was looking for this season to be competitive probably wasn't looking at the right team. This was never going to be a team that was going to win. Um, they showed that they can, they, they fight and not, and I don't just mean like actual fight. That was the problem that they didn't have a lot. I don't want to say heart cause I hate using that word. I hate being like, they don't have heart or they have, but they were a team that wasn't exactly feared and it wasn't exactly a hard team to play against, you know, Teams would come in, 
you would see it when a team is playing a back to back and you get their backup. It's like they don't they don't fear you. They're just looking past you. You know what that's and about. And this team had, <laughs> this team had looked like that for um, a very long time, and that's kind of why they brought Tortorella in was to change that. And he, immediately, his first interview with us when he was first hired, he immediately talked about the culture. And he hadn't even been in the locker room, and he knew there was a problem with the culture of the team. So that's what he was brought in to do, and I think he did it. Um, now I'm not in the locker room every day, um, but I think he did change the culture of the team in, in the aspect of being harder to play against and always having an opportunity to come back in games. That was something they lacked. Now everything else was what it was. They don't have the high-end talent to compete in the league. They have talent but they don't have enough, like, superstar talent. And we saw that with Konechny, he can turn into that. Owen Tippett looks like he could also be a guy that, if he keeps progressing, can be a high-end guy. And But other than that, it's they have a lot of young guys. That's really what this was about, was developing the young guys and finding out what they could be and seeing if they were going to be a part of the future. And a lot of them did that. Noah Cates, Morgan Frost, Tippett's another one of those who kind of really showed what they could be for this team. And that's what it is right now. It's developing and finding out, you know, what the team is now that they've actually admitted they're in a rebuild. Like, we didn't already know that for however many years. But they finally said the words rebuild. Um, You know, when they fired Chuck Fletcher and brought Danny Briere in, he flat out said, yeah, this is a rebuild. Like, he wasn't afraid to use that word and that was kind of what the team was always afraid of using they're like oh it's a retool it's not a rebuild we don't want to say this i but feel like <laughs> you're talking about the sharks and not the flyers sure. right? i was gonna say this sounds team like team? it could be a couple of different teams yeah this could be a couple of different teams but that's that's really what this whole season was about it was never um one of the writers on our site you know wrote this season was never about wins and losses it was about developing and that's really what it was and i think by the end of this season this team kind of showed that, that this was a young team. They weren't going to make any kind of big run, even though they did for a couple a couple weeks, which people got mad about, and that's the whole tanking, drafting, and that's a whole other conversation we could get into at a different time. But the, the team showed that they're young, and, and it's going to take some time. It's whether or not it's going to take a couple years, or as the players told us um, in exit interviews uh, like a week or two ago, but they've said this all the time, so I'm going to put that caveat in there. They don't think they're far off. Of course, the players are going to say that. They probably are. It's probably still going to be another couple years now unless they get lucky in the draft. That would be something that's happened to the Flyers before. That's how they got Nolan Patrick in 2017. That didn't work out, but I don't blame him for that like a lot of people do. He had a lot of injury trouble, and I'm not sure he's ever going to play hockey again. So that was a whole other story. Um... But it's really development. That's what it came. That's what it came down to this year, and finding out who was going to be able to stick around and who wasn't. Uh, and I think that second part is really what we're going to find out in this off season because Tortorella has said he knows at this point who who isn't cut out for this team, and we kind of know already the names that are floating around: the Kevin Hayes, Ivan Provorov, Tony D'Angelo. Maybe I think the most likely one to get moved: Kevin Hayes. He's the one that's really been thrown out um, in terms of it. But the Flyers are going to have to retain a lot on his contract. They're probably going to have to retain at least half of that contract. But I guess we'll see what happens in a couple weeks. Um, it might happen closer to the draft. 
But this team could look a lot different next season, and I think that's what's needed. And they need to get younger. They need to give those guys the opportunity because that's what a rebuild is, is developing that young talent. And I think we've seen that with some teams. The Devils turned it around within a couple years. The Rangers have done it as well. So it's kind of – I mean, now some of these teams get lucky in the draft. Again, the Devils, a great job over there. Jack Hughes, Heischer, all those guys. Rangers as well have, have developed, I think, pretty well. So it's about being patient, though, and not trying to rush this rebuild. So even though the players are like, we're probably not far off, you might be. Now, again, unless you get lucky – then maybe you can turn it around a little bit quicker because, sure, if you get Connor Bedard, great. Like, that could help you turn things around quickly. But it's development, it's being patient, and knowing that this is going to take some time. It's kind of really the takeaways, I think, from this season. So what are your thoughts on having Tortorella as a coach then? See, I like I liked Tortorella. Now, I never got yelled at, so I really was okay with that. Um, but I think he's the right guy in terms of the changing kind of the culture of the room and holding players more accountable and stuff like that. So I, I like, I like him in that aspect and he did a really good job of playing the younger players too. I think that was something that people said. It was the same thing people said about Elaine Vigneault. Like, oh, he likes his veterans. He's not going to play his young guys. We did see that end up coming out with Vigneault in scratching some of his young players for whatever reason it may be. Tortorella did bench players. He benched Konechny, Sanheim, but he also benched Kevin Hayes. Tony D'Angelo didn't play the last five games of the season. Benched Rasmus versus the Lion. He's a guy that's going to hold everybody accountable. He's not going to just give one guy leeway and not leeway to another. So I kind of liked the way he was very accountable, and he was also really good at keeping stuff in the room. Now, us as media, we're going to be like, you bench this guy, why? But he was very good at that's a conversation I'm going to keep between me and the player. So I like that aspect as well. I, I think he's been good. I think he's been good for this team, especially in terms of just the accountability and letting these players know, like, I'm not going to take your crap. You know, you're if I feel like you're not playing up to our standard, you're going to sit. And if you want to if you want to talk to me about it, doors wide open. That's what he always said as well was he's not necessarily going to seek the player out. If you want to know why you were benched, doors open. You can come talk. You can have an honest conversation. But he wasn't going to blast you to the media. He wasn't going to air anything out. He was going to keep that conversation between you, you know, you and him. So I do like what he kind of brought to the team this year. Yeah, there's a lot of parallels that you're talking about and that we can relate to as Sharks fans. Um, I'm curious to know, because we're in the same position where they will not say we're in a rebuild, we're in a retool, we're in a restructure, whatever re- Add another word behind Whatever it. Whatever re, that's not yeah. re. <laughs> that is not that forbidden word that they that is like written on the walls and, and the fans know it's there. It's just, and you know, it, it's like when you talk to the players, I will give them that one half it's just hockey talk. They come in there and they just got to like answer the questions in some kind of format. And But you're rarely going to get a, a player like, like a Nico Sturm, which I thought he he would give the answers that, at least from a fan perspective, you're like, yes, there's actually like some kind of like personality or life amongst you guys, and you're just not all talking like from the same, <laughs> you know, from the same playbook, right? You're just not like a robot. Mm. But I do understand when players are they because it, it, it comes from a place where you know they're. 
they're wanting to win, right? They're frustrated. And if they are just going to come on to the panel and just like rant for like 15 minutes about it, like I can see that being like not great for like the fan base, not great for, you know, the team as a whole, but majority of them, they're mm-hmm. like, oh, we're just around the corner. We're just there. It's just, they have to be hopeful for the team, right? Yeah. Like in for Sharks fans, We've been, I, I've personally feel like we've been in a decline ever since our Stanley Cup run. Like it, it started a slow decline and then we, then we fell off the cliff. But from a Flyers perspective, I, so I saw that the last time you guys made it to the conference finals was in the 09, um, 2010 mm-hmm. year. That's Stanley and Cup then, run, yeah. Yeah. And then you guys had minimal success um, over the last decade. And then you've missed the playoffs over the last three seasons. So, like, where do you feel like the team should have started rethinking? Like, our our window is closing. We need to start, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, like, I don't know if you guys have were selling off assets in this grand hope of, like, we've still got it because I know the Sharks were up until – like the last couple of years where they've realized, yeah, we don't have it anymore, but we just can't say it. So like, I guess I'm kind of wondering from the Flyers perspective, where, where was your mindset where this team needs to start rebuilding? And I think that's kind of a perfect, a perfect question too, where this was the the first time the Flyers admitted the rebuild. It was for the last couple of years of Fletcher's, tenure was it's a retool it's not a rebuild you know we don't want to say this word now whether or not Fletcher didn't want to say it or he didn't have management approval to say it we all knew now I think maybe around the bubble because the Flyers ended that season really well ended like on a 10 game win streak I think nine or ten went into the bubble swept the round robin and went in as the number one seed which doesn't even seem like it was real at this point that whole bubble playoffs. None of that seems real anymore to me, but... And I think that's when you could still kind of see, because they even struggled with Montreal in, in that series, despite the fact that they won. And then the Islanders just... Even though they took that to seven games, the Islanders just proved that they had four lines that could beat you, especially their fourth line, just is able to like wear you down and kind of show the Flyers. So I think after that, maybe, is when they... Sh- they probably got, I don't know if I want to say cocky, but we're like, oh, we're right there. We want, we know we're right there. We're still going to find a way. And I don't know if that was before. I think that was before, right after the Kevin Hayes assignment. I think that was that previous summer. I want to say they got him in 2019. It was the seven-year contract for him. And then the Rasmus versus the Lion deal where you trade the draft picks and then you sign him to an extension. And then you signed Tony D'Angelo to the two-year and all of that. So I think maybe potentially after that season is when you could kind of see, like maybe that was just, I don't know the word I'm looking for. Maybe that really wasn't what the team really was, basically. That was just giving us hope that really shouldn't have been there. Um, so I think maybe after that season is when you could kind of see the cracks and everything. And that's when all the reports, I think... I'm trying to remember Elaine Vigneault's last season, before this year, especially. I, I think especially last season, you know, you had... It was either last season or the season before. There's been so many bad things that I lose track of what season is which at this point. Because there was a season the Flyers had eight goaltenders. 
that was an experience. I, I, it would take me a minute, but I could probably name you every single goaltender that they played that season. It was at least Carter Hart, Anthony Stolarz, Ryan Elliott, McKenna, Picard, Lyon. Wow, that must have been a while ago because McKenna's retired. Yes, yes. Um, If I had time, I would go find the shirt. I have a shirt that has all eight goaltenders on it. I'll have to show you afterwards. Um, Because I actually, yeah, there's a shirt that has every single goaltender's name that played that season. And yeah, it was at least eight of them, I think, that played that year. It's just been a couple years of like, this team needs to tear it down. No, well, not tear it down. I don't think they quite need to do that. I don't think we need a full-on fire sale. Now, some of the people might disagree on that. But you could just see the cracks coming ever since the bubble playoffs. Ever since that, because they played great at the end of that year. And came into the bubble playoffs hot. But then, again, had trouble with a Montreal team that they probably shouldn't have. And then the Islanders just kind of exposed them, even though they took up the seven. But I think it's been a couple years that you could kind of see that maybe they should have started this a little bit earlier and maybe they'd be a competitive team by now. But if you ask Flyers fans, the joke is always, we're two to three years away from being two to three years away, is is the joke around the Flyers fan base because it's true. It, it's something that's needed to happen for a while now, and the fact that we're finally admitting it. I don't think it was ever going to happen during Fletcher's tenure. It was never... The rebuild word was never going to come out, and you could tell he was never going to say it. He always deflected away. If you asked him about a rebuild, it was always, well, we have the young talent, we think. They just need to develop, and we have these guys in there. But it was never it was never going to happen with him and why he should have been fired before he was. He should have never got the trade deadline this year, especially, because we saw what happened there. It's this team should have traded Dane Finney, but should have probably... Now, there were other assets you could have traded off that are just going to walk in free agency or retire like Justin Braun. Um, even though he hasn't officially said it, he is. Re- I'm pretty confident he is retiring. You could have given him another chance to go for a cup like he did before. But it was really the James Van Riemsdyk thing. And now I'm not going to criticize and all that because I think Fletcher did try to trade him at the deadline, but... Nobody wanted him, I guess, which is a hard thing to say because maybe you played your cards well and maybe shouldn't have waited until deadline day. But that's, again, that's a whole other conversation as well in the trade deadline thing because I know I'm going a little bit off at this point. But, yeah, I I think it's to answer it with a long-winded response. It was, I think, the, the bubble playoffs when you really saw it and that they needed to do this before because they were trying to do the... They were trying to be in a win, like a win now mode that they were never going to be in. Like those moves they made were never going to change that team. We're never going to do anything, especially with the rumored culture around the team and all that. So it, it was really never going to be that way and should have happened a couple of years ago. Okay. Since you brought up Braun, and as Sharks fans. <laughs> I'm curious to know what your experience as a fan has been seeing both Braun and Jonesy play on that team. Um, I don't know oh, if you Martin kept Jones. up. I don't know if you kept up with the Sharks at all before they went to your team, but uh, like the Sharks got rid a of them bit. for a reason. <laughs> a little bit. Um, well, we learned that with Martin Jones, that's for sure. Um, we we kind of experienced that, and then he went on and it has done great. Um, with the Kraken yeah like that whole and Dave Haxall that's a whole other 
I'm happy for Jones's season with the Kraken, but I wouldn't necessarily say in comparison to what he brought with the Sharks that he's doing great. I think he's yeah. doing he's doing about as much as we we would expect yes. him to do. And it's just yeah. the Kraken just have more firepower to back up yeah. the, the goals allowed. Right. Yeah, that's about right because you're playing in front of a defense that's yeah. Yeah. yeah, pretty much the yeah. same thing here. But um, like when you guys picked him up, because that was the same season that we bought him out. Now, what was your feeling in terms of because he was backing up Hart, and for that season, yeah. was that was that some? What was what was the intent behind signing Martin Jones? So I think it was similar to when they originally signed or traded for Morazic or, or to no Cam Talbot. It was Cam Talbot. Um, was giving Hart a mentor, someone that had that veteran experience. Because this was around the time that now Hart was stepping into his own and was going to be the, the leader on this team back there. So I think it was really just giving him a guy that has that had that playoff experience or just had that general experience that when they need, when Hart needed a night off, he could go in. Not that it ended up working. Not that it really would end up working out, I think, most times. But I think it really was just the... You know the teams are like we need those veteran guys who have that playoff experience. That's the that's the thing. And I, if remembering correctly, I feel like that was probably the intent behind it. Was Hart was still pretty young. I mean, and he is still pretty young. I think he's only twenty. I'm not gonna pretend like I know that. He's in his like early twenties. So he was still pretty young in the league. He's twenty four. Twenty four. I was thought I was gonna be right when I said twenty four, but. I didn't want to fully go for it. But, yeah, I, I think it was just that. I think it was the veteran, having that veteran experience behind him. Um, and I think the relationship between them, the two personally, worked. And it just didn't work out Jones here. But I, I think that was really the intent, was simply where the coaches overvalued the veteran experience and the playoff experience. And I think that's really all it was. Jonesy's a great guy. He was just Oh, yeah, he was great. He was great in the media, too. He was always a good guy to talk to. But do you feel like he, given what you mentioned about him being kind of like a mentor to Hart, do you feel like he he accomplished that goal? Yeah, I think because um, Hart kind of struggled at a point because there was, and, and I mean, this was after Jones, of course, so I don't know, you know, maybe what happened there, but I know Hart has had some struggles towards the end of the year. He's gotten injured the last three seasons towards the end of the year, and for goalies especially, it's a really a big mental thing. But then most hockey players, of course, it is a mental thing. But for him especially, and especially that COVID season, I know he talked a lot about the mental side of the game. So I think, yeah, having an older guy who had that kind of experience that knew what it was like and played the same position, of course, I think that personally probably did. And I can't say for sure I you know would have had to have asked Carter that. Um, and that's asking a couple years ago. And truthfully, I don't remember too much in terms of that relationship at least I would I would say it probably did just having a guy like that because I think Hart's probably talked about it before even just in regards of having a guy with experience back there I know Brian Elliott I think for sure helped him back there you know a veteran guy like that um he obviously brought a little bit different thing than I think Jones probably did but I think their relationship goaltenders they always talk about the relationship between them and their I guess competitor or however they will but it's always good to have that guy there pushing you to be better, pushing for your job, basically. So I think in that aspect, it probably did work for him. 
I'd say the the Bruins tandem is like peak goalie goals. That's what uh, that's what you want. <laughs> not even not even just the goalie. Not even just like the goalie itself. It's the the love for each other and like the always chemistry. supporting each other. Yeah, that's what you really want between two goaltenders. You don't want two guys that are like obviously you're fighting for the same job, but you want to be like you want him to do just as well as he wants you to do. Just as well. And yeah, the Bruins are a perfect example of the kind of goaltender chemistry and camaraderie that you want between them. Jealous of that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm jealous of the hogs because oh, it looks fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's cute. Um, do you have like thoughts on any up and coming prospects that you're hopeful for? Yeah. And, and it's perfect timing that you asked that too, with the fact that the Phantoms, unfortunately were just knocked out of the AHL playoffs, but I think they've got a lot to look forward to in Tyson Forrester. I think he's he's one of the guys, and he came up. He got that chance towards the end of the season. I think had five points in seven games, or might have been the other way around, or something like that. He had a, a point streak while he was up here, and even John Tortorella said he had to temper expectations because they were always going to go back down and get that development. But I think he's a guy that stirs a lot of excitement around with his shot and what he can do. Um, Sam Erson, again, another guy. Um, that got a long stint in the NHL um, this past season and really kind of showed the Flyers what he can do in, in goaltending. Um, and he's a guy that they pretty much said will get a long look in the NHL next season. Um, I'm expecting it to be Carter Hart and Sam Earson next season. I think they're going to move on from Sandstrom um, and give Earson that full-time shot in the NHL. So I think those are two guys that I think are on the front, you know, the front-end radar of potentially making the team next year. Elliot Desnoyers is another guy that I think they're really happy about. And I could see it kind of, especially in the Phantoms' last game, that he was all over the place. He was all over the ice getting chances and just couldn't obviously, you know, get it to go in. But I think he's another guy they're really looking forward to. Ali Litzel is another name. Like, a lot of these guys did get a chance at the end of the season. And even defense, Ronnie Adderd, Adam, Adam Ginning, Ginning, it's one of those. Uh, we still don't know how to say his last name, but... He's another guy that I think they're looking forward to. Um, Adder, though, did get signed out of college, played, I think, 15 games last year, and got better as he went. He really got introduced to the NHL in his first game and just got better from it. You know, he learned from it from there, spent the season in the AHL, but I think is another defense. And there's a lot of guys down in the AHL right now that are going to get a really good chance next season to make the team out of camp because this team wants to get younger and needs to get younger. But I think there is a lot. Um, Cutter Gautier, he's going to go back to college. He's going back for a sophomore year. I think he was a guy the Flyers really wanted to come out of his freshman year. And, you know, Briere did say they pitched the vision to him. They told him what they wanted. He decided to go back to college, and they're happy with that. I mean, what else is he going to say? But I think he's a guy, another guy they're really looking forward to when he, after he develops in college. There is a lot, I think, a lot of prospects in the system that are going to get a really good look in the next year or two as this team goes into the rebuild. So I, I think there is some talent in the pool that they're really, really high on and hoping we'll be able to make an impact. Could you have a couple of RFAs due for contracts um, yes, in this upcoming offseason? Yes, I believe Noah Cates is an RFA, and I think I have to double-check. I knew on Morgan Frost. Morgan Frost, yeah. Morgan and Frost, I thought was Bellows. Looking at the guys that they have RFAs, at least on the NHL roster, 
Cam York's going to get a contract. I know that. Um, Noah Cates is going to get one because he's coming off of his ELC. Morgan Frost, I do think, deserves another, deserves, you know, more. Kiefer Bellows didn't work. It, it was one of those low-risk, high-reward things, those signings. It never worked out. It, it, he never showed anything. Now, he never really got an opportunity either, but even in the AHL, he never. He was put on waivers multiple times by the Flyers. Nobody, nobody took a look at him. That, I just think, it was worth a shot. You never know. Former first-round pick. I think he was top 10, I'm pretty sure. Never will just didn't work out. So I don't think he'll be back. But I think those other those other guys, for sure, especially Noah Cates, because Torrella, I don't think ever said a bad word about Noah Cates, aside from the fact that he didn't like that he took more than skates. That was probably the only thing he ever said about Cates that was like a criticism. So he's for sure gonna be back. I think Morgan Frost earned the confidence of Tortorella um towards the end of the year because I don't know if you guys ever saw Tortorella compared him to a toilet seat at one point. Said he was up and down like a toilet seat, which is one way to talk about your player. And apparently, it's not the first time Tortorella has compared a player to a toilet seat. Very, very Tortorella. Um, I think he did that in Columbus, and the player didn't exactly respond correctly to it. I don't remember who it was, but didn't appreciate that. I could see why. But um, I think he, I frost her in the trust, I think, towards the end of the year. There's a couple of young guys that are not up this season, but I think still have something to prove to him as well. Um, I know you asked about current RFAs, but even just looking at some of the guys who will be up the year after, I think a guy like Tanner Lazinski is pretty much running out of time. Now he's been injured a lot. And that's the thing. If you ask Tortorella, that's pretty much what he says. But he's also like injured or not, I haven't seen anything. And it's similar to a guy like Wade Allison as well who Tortorella has said, he's great. You get him great for long stretches, and then he's injured. So it's kind of guys like that that I think are on the fence as well. But I think most of their RFAs will get signed, at least at the NHL level. Um, There's a lot of RFAs on the um, AHL side too, and like a guy like Ronnie Adder is up for a contract. He's coming off his ELC. Um, Igor Zamula is another one who just had shoulder shoulder surgery and missed the playoffs. He missed a couple weeks before that. They say he'll be ready for camp. Now are they saying that because he's still technically under contract? Or is that hint, hint, wink, wink, we're going to offer him a contract? Now, I think it's qualifying offers like seven, eight hundred k You're going to qualify that. And I think they like him as well. The interesting case is when you look at Ivan Fedotov and what's going to happen with that situation because he is a restricted free agent this summer, but he basically got detained in Russia, had to go into the military. There's a whole, it's a whole crazy story. If you have a chance to look it up, it's crazy. Um, so he's, he's, he's over there right now. We haven't, we don't know, really know what's going on at this point. We haven't really heard anything. So Wait, I think this sounds a, familiar. Yeah, that it's, it's a really weird, interesting case in terms of like, I believe he's playing. I'm not 100% confident if he's playing or if he's serving. And that we really don't know. So that I think is going to be one of the most interesting cases of is the NHL going to make the exception of what happens and when, because he was supposed to come over it. He likely would have been Carter Hart's backup this season. And maybe we never see Sam Harrison. We don't know what he ends up being, but he was expected to come over and compete for the backup job and may have, may have won it. So that's an interesting situation that they'll probably have to take a look at this summer in terms of, 
is the NHL going to give him that little leeway in terms of the fact, well, you guys expected him to come over and then he gets detained by the Russian military or whatever it was. It really is a crazy story and you have to read up on it because it's a lot of what happened to him when he was trying to come over. If you were GM, what are the top three things that you would like to see happen in the oh, off season? You're putting me in a big spot here. <laughs> oh, no pressure. Boy. Well, I think where they're going is the right step in admitting they need to get younger. And I think that's the first step here. We talk in position or just anything. Anything. I think you do need to move on from some of these, some of the, I don't know if I want to say Provorov or not. I, cause teams, there's going to be a market for him. It's a matter of if you really think he's going to change because he has kind of stalled out the last couple years. And if we're, if we're just going, I'm just going to stick hockey in this. And at least in this, because we all know. Well, we know the other things. aspect of it won't change. Yeah, so because I, we'll I just... even wrote about Yeah, that, and that's what, that was my first article was exactly about that. So if I'm going to just stick with that, which sometimes is a little hard as well to just stick on the hockey side, but at least for this, you know, hypothetical, I'll stay with that. I, I don't know, because he seems to be a guy that needs a partner that's going to elevate his game. We saw that with Matt Niskanen. He looked really good with Niskanen. Niskanen retires. Provorov doesn't look like a number one defenseman. Get Ryan Ellis for four games. They look great together. He, I don't know, falls apart. And, again, Provorov doesn't look like he's your number one. He's a guy that's going to eat minutes, that's for sure. He's going to be out there 20, 30 minutes in, thirty minutes a game. Tortorella loves him in that aspect. He's a guy that works hard. But if he's a guy that's going only going to be good when you have a partner that's better than him, is it really worth keeping him around when maybe you know what he is at this point? Um, I think maybe you have to look at that. You have to look at what the market is for him and maybe what's out there and what you can get in return because he's on a friendly enough deal, I think. Um, he's getting paid 6.75 until he'll be an RA, he'll be a UFA after the 24-25 season. So it's a very it's a very usable contract. It's really not as bad as it looks. So I think you have to at least explore the market. I'm not saying necessarily go for it unless you're blown away, maybe. I think you have to explore that. I think you have to explore the Kevin Hayes Avenue. Because despite the fact that Tortorella and Hayes are saying there's nothing going on between them, clearly there's something. There's something going on there that isn't working. And I think you also have to go in that aspect. Now, I think he's the likely one to go. And I think probably for the best. Now, he was the Flyers All-Star this season. Should he have been? I don't think so. I think that should have been Konechny. Now, did Kevin Hayes have almost career highs in points and, and everything else? Yes. But it didn't feel like that. It didn't feel like this was almost a career season for him. He started off really good. And then after the All-Star break, it just kind of fell apart. Now, he was losing ice time. He was losing responsibility. But you have to look at that again in terms of, yeah, you're losing this responsibility, but are you going to rise up to that? And and show that, no, I shouldn't be losing this ice time. I shouldn't be losing this. And it never seemed like he did. It seemed like, I don't want to say pouted. I don't, again, I don't like to get into the mindset of, how the player is, but it just feels like he knows. He said that to us as much in his interview. He pretty much knows he's done here. So I think that's the most likely thing that has to change is I think you're going to have to move on. You're going to have to admit 
it worked out in the beginning, maybe. He was, the city loved him, the team loved him. I think the, the locker room still does really love him, but I think you have to admit, it just isn't working anymore. And you're not going to pay a guy $7.5 to give you maybe not even 20 goals a year. And I think there's talk about D'Angelo, uh, especially with the fi- with getting benched for the final five games of the season. There's obviously a disconnect there as well because D'Angelo flat out told us, I don't think I should have been benched. I don't know why I was benched. I don't know why I didn't play. Now that's a whole maybe other conversation him and Tortorella needs to have and figure that part out. But if you have this disconnect between you and your head coach where you don't know why you're scratched or maybe you don't want to believe why you're scratched, I can't go into that. But there's obviously a disconnect there as well where you're not understanding why you didn't play. Now, he did hold himself a little bit accountable. said, did I have a good year offensively? Probably. Defensively, he did admit he needed to be better. But I think that's another. that was another move that you probably never should have made in the first place. I think it goes back to the whole Shane Gossett thing as well, in where you basically traded him. You traded him for nothing. I don't know if they ever got him for that trade. I think that was – you traded him and a couple picks to Arizona for that. I don't know if it was future considerations, but I don't think it ever happened. You basically gave him away because you – Love those future considerations. It. And then look what he's done with Arizona. You know, he now maybe it's because it's a team that's in that kind of transition period where he's getting that more time and he's getting that ability. But you kind of saw that where they went from Gossister and then they bring in the line and they bring in D'Angelo. Who D'Angelo is basically a different version, I think, of Gossister without the baggage, essentially. I think it's really what that was. You were just trying to recoup what you lost in Gossister. And... It didn't really – you knew what D'Angelo was on the defensive end. That was the thing. He was – yes, he was going to be a guy that was going to help your power play, and he did lead the team in power play points. I, at least defensively. I think he did actually lead the team in power play points. You knew what you were going to get there. Defensively, though, you knew he wasn't good on the defensive end, and you were pairing him with Ivan Provorov, which never worked, even though I think D'Angelo said it did. If you look at the numbers, I don't think it did. And then, you know, he was on that third pairing with Nick Steeler. And then he gets benched for the final, you know, week plus of the season. And they didn't really agree with that. So I think he's another player you have to take a look at and see, does he really fit into this timeline of what we want to do? Because you have a lot of younger guys. If I'm going number one, Kevin Hayes, I think that you have to figure that situation out by the draft. You have to get it before then because you want to get some assets in before the draft. That's when you see the trades happen. That's when you see those moves. I think he's your number one priority that you're going to have to admit it's not working anymore. We're not paying him this money to be this guy. But you're going to have to retain. You have to accept the fact that you're probably retaining at least half that deal in order to make a move happen. But I think he's where you have to start. It'll be interesting to see if some of those moves that you mentioned um, do get made over the season. Like I know for us, we're, we've – I mean, obviously we're looking forward to hopefully getting in on like the Connor Bedard – Thing. I think <laughs> that's like not gonna happen just given where we ended in the season um but then again like all of it comes down to whatever ball gets picked up yeah I mean we had that luck in 2017 we jumped from I think 13 to 2 so it's not yeah completely yeah. out of the realm of possibility I think what's interesting and, and somebody wrote this um, today for us, actually, and I'm kind of interested to see what you guys think about it. Because um, instead of the whole, like, tanking aspect of it and where you can tell teams are like, we know we're bad, we're going to be bad, 
and would like we're just gonna basically outright tank, but they're not gonna say the word tank. So, but somebody on my site wrote something about. I guess there was an idea floated around somewhere on a call, and I don't know if it was Friedman's podcast or the Athletic itself about a play-in tournament for the number one pick, where you're basically forcing teams to not tank necessarily, but. I don't know. It was it was a little weird to me because why would these teams that are bad want to then play more to basically? Because the fun thing is, you're if you win, I mean you're losing to win basically because it's the aspect of the sixteen on the sixteen teams that don't make the playoffs. I guess to incentivize not tanking, where you'll you'll just play in a tournament to determine who gets the number one pick and whoever wins gets the number one. Runner up gets the second, and then you go, and then the rest of it is you go in how it finished during the regular season. I don't know that the NHL would ever buy that. I don't think more of the teams would buy that because why would they want to play more? Like, if, if their goal is to lose, why would they then want? I guess if that turn in turn makes them want to win, but I don't know. I thought that was interesting a way to go about it, but it's I don't just know such a weird happen. play on emotions. Like, well, you're in the yeah. suck bowl here. Yeah. <laughs> Time time to win the chance to be good. (laughs) Yeah, time to win the chance. I mean, it's an interesting aspect. I think. I don't know. I think it's a little strange. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think the teams would go for. I could see the NHL going for it because it's more money, because it's more games and all that. But also, when are you playing? Because you. Well, I mean, I think I disagree. I don't think the NHL would go for that because they're because what was it like? Batman or whoever is in denial that teams are tanking on purpose. So that True. would just like that's further probably, the that's, point that would that, just agree that yeah. I know I see that point for sure. I just look at it in terms of money, and that's what yeah. It's just to find a way to make more money. But yeah, it's that aspect of that. But then Batman would have to admit that these teams are tanking. I mean, come on, look at the Ducks. You're telling me that team wasn't tanking. I try not to. You're telling me the Arizona Coyotes aren't. You're no. You're telling me the Chicago Blackhawks are not tanking. Look at that roster. I'm jealous that they could make that decision. That they could throw out guys that you've never heard of, and be like, "No, we're just we're just a young team. No, you're tanking. There's no way around that. It's. I just thought it was at least an interesting thing. I just don't know that it would ever happen. Yeah. When would something like that happen? That's what I mean. Like, I don't know where you would do it too, because you're not going to clash it with the postseason. But you would have to. Unless you wait, like you're not, and you're not going to wait till the playoffs are over because now you, now you've had these guys off the ice for like a month, and then they have to get back in the game. And like, you would have to do it at the same time, and no one's going to watch. Who <laughs> wants to watch two teams fight for the number one pick like that? Like, here's two bad teams. I don't know. I might want to watch the, the Sharks do that <laughs> because you're essentially watching. You're essentially watching. So say we get, say we do this, and we're in the the championship. If you want to call it that, we're watching these. We're watching two bad teams try to the win. loser cup. Yeah, like we're essentially we essentially want these teams that are tanking, so to speak. To it's Stanley's toilet bowl to, championship. It's just no. I like the suck bowl. I do like the suck bowl a lot. That's essentially what it is. I don't know. I mean, I think people would watch it just for the fun of it, but I don't know that we could realistically get something like that off the ground. Just more in terms of logistics of when you would play it are these teams actually going to agree to it because i think they're i think they're better off but we're just going to let the lottery 
taken and whatever happens there because then it's at least a chance of luck. When you're playing, it's like, well, we know we're bad, so why do we want to play to show that we're bad when we're probably just going to lose? It, it most seems to see it that way. I don't know. I don't think whatever actually happened, but I thought it was at least an interesting like thought, maybe, and try to incentivize teams to not tank. But if the league doesn't even think the teams are tanking when they're clearly tanking, then, yeah, I don't think you'd ever get that off the ground. I just wanted to bring up this uh, thing I saw earlier this week. Who is it on the Jets? Was like, he looked like he was eating Gogurt, but it's actually oh, this wait. thing Are you of just like Pierre maple Lisa syrup. Bois. Yeah, I think Pierre it was Lisa him. Bois. Yeah, I'm like, and I, I looked this I... up, and it's it's actually a company that makes like athletic related items that have maple syrup in it, which Listen, just feels Canadians so very Canadian. Weird. Canadians are weird now. But I'm curious Canadians now, like, does that stuff. work? I'd like that. I want to know that anybody asked it about it. That's what I want to know. I know. It's pure don't... Vermont maple syrup. Yeah, it seems like a Canadian thing, though. Like, that's that, that's probably the most Canadian thing you could do on the bench that's not playing the game, is eating maple syrup. <laughs> trying to get... I mean, we've seen some weird stuff on the bench of what players do to, like, Get ready, get into games, and do all this. One of the Canucks was eating a banana and drinking Pepsi, like eating the banana directly on the bench. That was the funniest thing, because it was Kuzmenko, and then you had P- you had Petey look at him like, "What are you doing?" So I, but I think the maple syrup probably takes the, because at least banana, potassium, the caffeine from soda, because I think Ovechkin does that too. Like, things that you would typically eat make sense, but, like, I've never seen someone... Does that have, like, what does that have in it? I mean, I guess it's just, like, the sugar aspect of it, you know, carbohydrates. That's one way to go about it, I guess. Just to eat, like, I want, where where do you keep that? Like, is it just on the bench, or does someone get it for you from the locker room? Like, where are you (laughs) keeping it, is what I want to know. Keeping it nice and warm in, like, some pocket in there probably the oh, trainer probably handed it to him yeah most likely the trainer he's like here can you hold this one like, why just trust me trust me <laughs> no and it was probably some conversation like that like the boss like just trust me on this i'm gonna take this from you later just hold it for town <laughs> i'm sure nothing phases the trainers at this point oh probably <laughs> they probably seen weirder stuff than that so that's that's <laughs> someone you have to talk to and i told trainer i'm sure those are some wild stories all right, last thing. Let's get your predictions for the for the cup run. Oh god, that would have to that would have to be me actually paying attention to the cup run. Um, well, it's probably better that I, you're not. So then your your opinion won't be skewed. It? Just who I think will make it to the cup final? Sure. I don't want to say Boston. <laughs> They're I a really heavy favorite. Say, I really don't want to say Boston, and I really don't. I can tell you what I want to happen for the last and not, but this wouldn't be making the cup final. I can tell you what I want to happen for last is I want Toronto to lose because I think it would be funny. Everyone wants because, Toronto to lose. I want I, them yeah, to yeah, lose the first, the first round and then they can lose in the second is round. Is that enough though? I'm curious if that is that enough. Is if they make it past After the how round, many seasons of not Does that keep Dubas' job though? Just making it past the first round. That's what I want. Oh, to I don't see. know about that part. 
Yeah. I don't so care about that. I'm just saying. I know. Let but... them get past the first round for the fans, but then they can lose in the second round. <laughs> oh, that fan base is so nuts. No, for the fun, I want Toronto to lose in the first round. Because I think another year of stacking up, trading for O'Reilly, Achari, all that. I mean, and that's where Luke is right now. So I'm basically rooting against Luke um, in terms of that. But in terms of who I think, I really am trying to avoid Boston so hard, but I really, I think they have to. I think it's a turn in term of you have that good of a regular season. I think you have to make it. You, you, well, you can't lose in the first round at least because then, like, what was the point? I so I mean, I don't want to be the obvious and say, but I'm really like I really have to look and like who is it? Okay, let's see. Um. I think the Kraken, I think that's going to be an interesting story to follow, is what they're going to do, and especially going against the Cup champs, I think will be an interesting one to watch. I, As much as I'm like, oh, of course it's got to be Dave Haxtell, and all that, I think it would be fun to see them to go that far, to be an expansion team that went from being really bad, and whatever their draft strategy was was bad. Um, cause you could have had, well, you could have had Terry. Well, I guess Vince Dunn has worked out for them really well, but you could have had Tarasenko, you could have had Van Riemsdyk, and instead you picked Torinsky, who hasn't even played for you. I think that would be fun. Um, just kind of looking at the, looking at the playoffs. I think if I go to the Eastern Conference, I don't know if the Devils are going to do it. I, they really look overmatched against the Rangers. So I think they're, Carolina looks like it's a team that they always look like a team that are going to make a run. So they're another obvious answer. They're getting injured up and down. Yeah, like that's, my, that's something that's hurt. Like from when Sveshnikov went down from them and like even before then when Pacioretty tried to come back and then he immediately got injured like a week later. I was like, well, okay, not so bad since they've been doing fine without him, but I just thought once he gets into the lineup, it's like game over for everybody. But he, he wasn't able to do it, and then Sveshkov went down, and then like Teravainen is out for like the entire season. Like I, like I, I actually, now that I think about it, when I came home yesterday and I turned on, um, I, I haven't even really been following this this series in particular. I just don't really care too much. But I turned on the game and immediately the island scored four goals. <laughs> I was just like, what is going You're on? You're like, oh, it was me. It was me. I was the one. It was me. You're a lucky charm that I've arrived. I think that's, I think that's an interesting series, though, too. Carolina and the island just because of what the Islanders came from. I, I think when you're a team that barely gets in, like that whole that whole wild card situation between Florida, New York, and Pittsburgh, and listen, I'm happy as heck that it ended the way it did because I think it's funny that the Penguins missed the playoffs. But that's coming from the players, so maybe I'm biased. But I think that whole situation, too, of when you're almost barely getting in, like the Islanders clinched on essentially almost the last day of the season. So I think that situation between them and Carolina, I think that's going to be a good series to watch. I think Carolina's probably going to come out on top of that one. I know they're up 2-1 to one right now. I, they're just a team that always seems to be built for the postseason. And even when you lose a guy like Svechnikov, they didn't seem to miss a beat, I think. I could be wrong. I don't watch them. But they're just always that team. Of, a Rod Brandon Morico team is always going to be built for that, I think. 
So I think that's going to be a good series to watch. And the Panthers, in the beginning, were giving Boston some trouble. And now your Boston's been without Bergeron. He might not be back till game. I think they said game five. I believe Krejci's not going to play another game. Like, he's going to be out a second game. Their goaltending situation is getting interesting. So I think maybe Boston-Florida could be another one. Boston, again, is that team that's just oh, that's always there. They're always built for the postseason again, like Carolina. They're always a team that's expected to make that run. So they're an easy team to pick. But what Alex Lyon has done for the Panthers, essentially dragging them, kicking and screaming into the playoffs. I re- oh, I love Alex Lyon. I, things didn't work out for him in Philadelphia, but I, he's always been a great guy to talk to. He's very insightful, and he's just a guy that you want to root for. So I think, at least him specifically, I don't know about the Florida team themselves, but he, he's a guy I like rooting for in terms of his success and what he's been able to do. But I think, yeah, I think those two series in the East, I think are going to be fun to look at. Kreider's gone off for the Rangers. Tarasenko, that was going, that was a really great pickup for them as well. I don't think Patrick Kane has done a whole lot for them since he came over. I think he scored in that he, second game. He, I think he got three points last game. Yeah, so he kind of came alive at that point. Mm-hmm. I, I think they're going to, I don't know if I'm going to say they're going to run over the Devils, but they're kind of looking like, they're going to the Devils are up against the wall at this point. They have to figure out what's going on because um, they have the guys that can do it. They, you know, Jack Hughes had an incredible regular season. You know, he's one of the guys that really led for them, but they just look like they're completely overmatched against the Rangers. So if they come back great, I don't think they're gonna. I mean, I could, they could prove me wrong, and maybe this is. This is what you need, Devils. You're going to hear me say, you're out of it. You're not coming back. Here's your spark <laughs> to come back and win. That's what you need. I'm sure that's what they needed was for me they to tell them. They need a fan to not believe in them, to like yeah, really, really get them going. <laughs> um, I think the Edmonton-LA series is another one because Edmonton is another team. Me. Edmonton's another team that's like, are you ever going to get over that hump? You have they're currently David. losing the series yeah. right now. Yeah, Canada yeah, has like collective anxiety when it comes to the playoffs. Over the over the Oilers, especially, I think that's another team that's like, how when is enough enough? Because you have Connor, Mc, you have the best player in the in hockey, and yet you can't help him. It's always their well, their problem has always been defense and goaltending. Is you've got the offense, but you don't have anything to back it up. I think that. Not funny. I think that's just predictable for them to get in like that and then lose in the first round. I think that's another predictable. But LA's been a really big surprise too, and they're another team that, you know, won a couple cups, was really bad for a little bit, and then got good. So I think they're they're another team that you almost kind of root for. Because you're like, you were that mm. bad team that turned well, I know you guys can't. <laughs> I know I know short fans can trust me. I'm probably rooting for them, but I know you guys. guys, (laughs) You guys might still have PTSD from that series. I'm fine with the Kings winning that series. I think just from from a team chaos perspective, I would laugh about it. And I'm actually kind of interested in watching Corpusalo, mostly because I don't really follow the Columbus Blue Jackets. So when they acquired him, because they traded away quick. They have, that was a um, whole situation in and of itself, too. I would love to see the Kings advance and for Vegas to advance and just, like, make it a whole so And battle it. Like, oh, that I would, would be it. I think but the like, NHL wants that, too. 
But like they traded away quick and then their guy that they were grooming to take over quick, he's now down in the HL. So the fact that they acquired Corpusalo, I'm just interested to see how that works out for them now and then in the long run because mm -hmm. it just seems like so many of the teams this season in particular just have all kinds of goaltending problems, whether it's injuries or just like when the Oilers acquired um, Campbell and he's not even the starter. You're paying him $5 million to back didn't up we, your... Didn't we expect that, though? I mean, I didn't know a whole lot about it. Like, when we had uh, a friend of ours, um, Emmett, who was talking about the Leafs, it just seemed like they weren't wanting to pay him because of that one season. But I didn't exactly expect him to back up an AHL goalie, who, granted, I do like Stuart Skinner, but I did not oh, see yeah. this coming. I saw him like replacing, you know, they moved on from Mike Smith and who was the other guy who was on the Oilers last season. I expected that. I did not expect him to take over Campbell's position. I don't know that I necessarily expected that per se, but I think you always kind of knew in the back of your mind, well, Campbell couldn't really get it done with the Leafs. So you're putting him in another situation where, You've got the offensive talent, but you don't have the defensive talent. I think that was a similar situation to the Leafs as well. Um, I mean, I have only paid attention to them a little bit um, because of Luke and because of O'Reilly, because I was always a big O'Reilly fan as well. But I think that was a similar situation for him, was putting him in a situation where you have the, the Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, in terms of your Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner. But you had a defense that wasn't going to be good, and you were basically putting Campbell in a situation to – be in, essentially be in that same similar situation, so I'm not necessarily surprised. I mean, Stuart Skinner's had an incredible, incredible season for them over there, and I know there's a lot of talk of people that think he should be in the running for the Calder and um, that kind of stuff. Um, I haven't watched him enough to know truly if he should be. I'm, sounds like he should be, but I don't know too much in that aspect. But yeah, I think I'm not as surprised that Campbell... I don't really know what happened necessarily if he just fell apart or they just went, well, Skinner's better. We're just going to play the hot hand. But with a guy that had a track record like that, I'm not exactly surprised that it turned out that way. But it's another situation, like, as you mentioned, the whole team's having goaltending problems in the playoffs. That's really when your goaltending gets exposed. And when you're coming in, like that, and I think I think for Corpusalo, I think this was a good opportunity for him as well to come talk about another team that was tanking without actually saying they were tanking was Columbus. I, I mean, mean, they have Frick, they got Goudreau, and they have yeah. Lyman. How do you have, how do you sign Johnny Goudreau, and you still are the like the worst one of the worst teams in the NHL? Now the Johnny Goudreau thing is another Flyers thing that probably should have happened, didn't happen, but that wouldn't have changed anything here. And I think they're probably better off for not having made that deal. But, yeah, that's another situation where Corpusala was getting a chance to come in to a team, a, a young team, but a team that was good, I guess I'll just flat out say that was actually good. So I think that's going to be a good situation for him to be a part of with the Kings. Um, I think the Kings could, at least we've seen that. They've won two overtime games, and they've come back in both of those games. I think the first one, they tied it within the last 10 seconds, and they ended up winning that one in overtime and won the third game in overtime, I heard there was controversy in that one but i don't know exactly what happened i didn't watch that game but i saw 
I saw people analyzing the high stick and I just thought like, are we, yeah. are we really retweeting this like slow-mo video? Yeah, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if that had a big, I'm assuming that had a big play on the game. I don't know. Cause they even asked Trevor Moore about it and he's like, I don't even know if I touched it. Like, so I'm assuming that had a play on the game, but regardless, the fact that the Kings are up two one, I think that's great. I think this is the Kings team too. That is really showing a lot. So I think that's another team like the Leafs. Like if Edmonton loses in the first round, you're not blowing it up. That'd be funny, but you're not blowing it up. You're not trading cards. Some, some aspect of it needs to get blown up because they you've know. got yeah. Because you've got McDavid for how many more seasons? Like they, they're and what, in and what's the mode point right where now? McDavid is like, I've had enough. Like I'm tired. It, I'm will tired he say that it. though? I don't think he's the guy that will say it out there. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't think he's the guy that's gonna say it. Um, but I think you have to get that thought of: Is there a chance that McDavid could have a like, could say enough is enough? I'm tired of being the only guy. Now, I mean, he's got Dreisaitl. He's got some other guys on offense, I, I think. I don't know for sure, but it seems like that team... <laughs> so, it seems like that's just McDavid. It's two team. guys and the rest of the team. That's really... That's what Edmonton's been for how many years now? It's just been McDavid, Dreisaitl, and a bunch of guys. It's McDavid dragging this team. Again, you were talking about dragging a team, kicking and screaming. That's what McDavid does with Edmonton every single season. We know a little bit about dragging a team this season. Mm. Trust me, the San Jose was, Eric Carlson. This season was a draw. Oh my god, yeah, Eric Carlson had a hell of a year too, and oh that's what's god. such a shame too. Is he had that kind of year on that kind of team? But there, there's a whole bunch of series that I think have a lot of injuries in it, and I think I'd like to see those those young teams. You, because you've seen the Boston, you've seen even like I said, Carolina is always a predictable team usually. I can make a run, but I, I, you want something, you always want something different. You don't want these teams that are always winning, that are always making it to the cup final. Boston, I think, might have to, just because, I, that was a West talk a lot before, was you can celebrate the great regular season and take away the playoff aspect. Like, if this team doesn't, if this team somehow loses in the first round, I think you've got to talk about it. I think if maybe they lose in the conference finals or before then, it is what it is. At, that at least point, they won't get swept. Yeah, like as, as long as you don't get swept in the first round of a team that you had like an historic regular season, you broke all these records. I don't know. I don't think you have to necessarily win it all, but you've got to at least get past the first round. But I think we see those like the Kraken, the Kings, um, other teams like that that you don't. Obviously, the Kraken are still too new and obviously would be a different phase in the playoffs. But I think those teams like that. You want to see them make it. So I, I kind of, I want to see the Kings get past Edmonton. I want to see the Kraken find a way to get past the defending, the, the defending Stanley Cup champs too, as well, because Colorado is a team that's had a lot of issues this season. Land, the whole Landeskog situation just was just so weird because I don't even know what happened. Damn, he yeah. just like never, he never came back. And maybe that's shades of Ryan Ellis and Cam Atkinson for me. That it was like you never knew. Well, I think he, I think let us not get surgery. I don't remember on what. And just never seemed to come, was never, there was never any good reports on that. Um, but I think seeing what the Kraken have done, despite the fact that I don't understand it in the span of a year, how they turn things around. I think team like that, like I said, the Kings, I think would be good to make it onto the next round. I think Boston's going to find a way. They just, they just will. It's just who they are as a team. 
You don't like, they're the team that I think it, unless you're a Boston fan, you're rooting against. They feel like that team that everybody else is like, please be done. Stop winning. We're tired of you being the top team of the year. Um, I think the Rangers Devil series, I think either one of those teams would be good to move on. I think it's probably going to be the Rangers, but if the Devils are able to make a comeback, that's great for them. But I think those teams, like you don't want to see the predictable teams making it any season. So I think those teams that have very turned it around in these last couple of seasons are the teams that I'd like to see, especially um, make it on. I just don't know that it's going to happen. It would be nice, but I don't know necessarily that some of those teams are going to be able to overcome those, you know, the predictable teams that are just built for the postseason, especially. Yeah, that's why we're Team Chaos. <laughs> always, we're always team chaos here. Absolutely, I want to see all. I want to see all the top teams go down, just for the fun, just for the laughs. So I, I'm, I root for the Avs and the Kraken outside of the Sharks, and so it was really hard to pick who I wanted to win that series, but I think I want the Kraken to win it because they're the underdogs. Yeah, that you always want the underdogs too. As much as I don't want to root for. Dave Hackstall. He means nothing to me, so. (laughs) Well, yeah, he means, yeah. That was another season in Flyers history. I'm rooting for Team Chaos in that series. I I am indifferent to both teams. Um, I would like to see the Leafs get out of the first round, especially now that with Hedman and Saranek out, as their top I know nine. they said Hedman skated today. I don't know. He skated I mean, yesterday yeah, in warm-ups, but they still didn't play him. So whatever yeah, I don't know. might be happening yeah. there, I think you don't have another game like game two. That just looked horrendous from the Bolts end. Yeah. And the fun and, part was those scores were almost identical, too. Right. It was like 7-2, right. 7-3. Seven, seven, it was like, you're, you're not going to have that every game. I think that they've improved their roster in areas oh, that they sure. need to, but yes, this, somehow they figure out a way to just choke to in, in the first round. The so, Leafs always find a way to leave. So those are my closing thoughts, and I'd like to see Timo get success. I have no <laughs> idea what the Devils are doing with their lineup because he's getting – and I am will not stand for any Timo slander from the media, from the the Jersey New Jersey Devils fan base because Timo played amazing on a crappy ass team for seasons, top scorer. Yeah. So you just got to figure out where he's six in your lineup. And granted, he just may not, but he's your problem now. So he's your issue. He's your issue. We weren't going to be able to sign him, at least from my perspective. And so, you know, um, but it would be great to see him get success in this playoffs or, you know, potentially next season and the benefit for the Sharks to get our, the first round picks that they, oh yeah, because I was going to say, was there conditions? Yeah, I was going to say, was there conditions in that? Yeah. That probably might not be met now. (laughs) They have to make the Western Conference either, no, sorry, the Eastern Conference final either this season in the postseason or next year okay they could do it because i don't think it's so so i mean at this time i don't think it's gonna happen but we have another year that you know we could benefit from that trade 
and but of course I'm always going to be ruined for Mika's Benajet. So I don't either <laughs> either way this this series shifts will be good for me. <laughs> I know, and I realized, and I realized going back to the Western Conference in that Colorado series real quick, I could never root for Colorado. In with, with yeah, I can never root for Colorado for what they've done to the Blues. Now, whether or not that's the Blues' fault or not, I'm not here to discuss that because it might have been. But yeah, I can't root for Colorado. I don't. I really just thought about that. So no, I can't root for the Blues because there was a Sharks Blues thing going on for a little bit. Was there? Was that before? Yeah. I think, the Blues, maybe. Because they, oh, they went up against them in the Western Conference in 2016 and in 2019, where. Uh, Ryan Reeves was on the team in 2016, and he injured one of the Sharks players real that, I bad. That was right before I started, I think, because I think that was the season before Brandon got traded there. I don't know, maybe I'll come later because I don't remember. And then 2019, there was that whole hand pass thing that the Blues fans oh, still okay, wouldn't yeah. let go. Well, I have a different opinion of that, so we won't. <laughs> <laughs> we won't get into that one. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Ariel, for coming on today and chatting hockey with us. And good luck with your other sports in the Philadelphia Well, the Sixers area. did sweep. The Sixers did sweep. So we're nice. moving on to play Boston, which is going to be an experience. <laughs> Freaking Boston is everywhere. Oh, yeah. But they, yeah. So I think that's going to be a good series. In terms of kind of if the Sixers can get over that hump as well. Um, the Phillies, it's still too early in the series for that, but we'll see where the Sixers go, but they did sweep. I got that notification during the podcast. I was like under the table, like, yes. So we'll see, we'll see where that goes from here. But yeah, I did, I did think it was funny. I came on here, saw cocky. I was like, Sixers hat, Sixers shirt, Phillies hoodie. And I was like, we're not even supporting anything. You can see in the background, maybe a little bit, but I was like, I found it funny. I came on a hockey podcast wearing nothing hockey related. You shift gears. Okay. You're in the off season now for hockey. Oh god, I need to be in the off season for hockey. That was too much. That was too much of a season. Know what that's all about? <laughs> all <Terrible>. right. <laughs> okay, and that's it for our episode this week. Thank you, Ariel, for coming on, chatting with us today. And as always, I'm your host, Jay. And I'm Nessa. Thanks again for joining us. Bye. Bye.